Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley. Thanks for tuning in with me this week. Uh, man, this is it. Turkey season. Officially over. Um, <clears throat> kind of a bittersweet time. Sad. Uh, one of my favorite seasons of the year has gotten to be more and more so over the last several years, man, since uh, since I first moved to Wisconsin, actually. You know, spring really became uh, a time that I felt like I came alive and could enjoy goblin birds in in the springtime so anyway man if you know a turkey hunter reach out to them check on them see how they're doing uh, especially if there's somebody who's ate up with it like i am just uh you know make sure they're doing okay remind them you know deer season's right around the corner and while it may not be uh everything that turkey season is to them it's still pretty dang fun and hey there are fish to catch there's walleye and bass and especially smallies there's a lot of fun stuff coming up so Anyway, if you don't care about turkeys, you're probably listening to this. Like, man, why are you why are you even bothering with the turkey talk? Well, I, I bother with the turkey talk because I miss it, and I'm feeling pretty sad about it. But in honor of turkey season being over, we are going to begin to shift gears. The next two weeks, we are going to be talking about summer scouting or late spring, early summer scouting for whitetails. In this episode, we've got a little bit of a treat, something a little bit different uh, in store for you. I am taking a podcast episode that I did last year with Aaron Warbritton from The Hunting Public. We did an episode for the How to Hunt Deer podcast and aired it over there. And I know there's some carryover, so some of you guys listen to this show as well as the How to Hunt Deer podcast. But the analytics show me that not everyone who listens to one listens to the other. And so I just want to make sure that, uh, honestly, that everybody catches this. Aaron and I had a wonderful conversation. We talk about... Uh, you know, what he's looking for this time of year, how he weighs summertime sign, what he's looking for when it comes to feeding areas, what he's looking for when it comes to bedding areas, how he takes summer information and puts that together into something that's actually useful in the fall rather than just saying, oh, deer are here during the summer. So lots of good information in this episode. And actually, I've got to tell you, one of the things that has inspired me to run this episode on the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast instead of just leaving it as a how to hunt deer episode that I ran last year is the fact that it just didn't catch the traction that I thought that it would. You know, when you talk with a guy like Aaron Warbritton about scouting for whitetails, you think people are going to come out of the woodworks to listen to that episode. And while it had good numbers, especially it had it had good numbers for the summer, right? Like numbers are higher during the, the fall hunting season than they are during the summer. It just didn't quite get the attention that I thought, number one, that it would, uh, but number two that I think it deserves. I mean, Aaron is just a wealth of knowledge, and uh, my conversation with him was fantastic. I learned 
an absolute ton. So that's who I'm talking to today, Aaron Warbritton, summer scouting for whitetails. I know for a lot of you who are deer nuts, you're thinking right now about starting your summer scouting. You're thinking about, hopefully, you're thinking about trail cameras, which we're going to do some episodes over the next couple of weeks um, that may include some trail camera talk. So lots of that stuff coming. Definitely have that stuff coming over on the How to Hunt Deer podcast. But I hope you are going to be making the time not only to listen to these shows, but, uh, but to also get out and put some of the things that you learn or some of the things that you are reminded of from these episodes into practice and let me know how you do. If you get out there, you do some scouting, you find some cool stuff, snap a picture of it, post it up on Instagram and tag me in it. I would love to see what you guys are up to. And even if what you're up to is, uh, is fishing, because I am down here in Georgia right now. Uh, it is 187,000 degrees today. It is basically the surface of the sun at this point of the year already. And man, it's just miserable. Like I am ready, uh, either one to go back to Wisconsin and enjoy the weather or two, uh, I'm ready to just go to bed until it's October or, you know, late September or something like that, because it is already really, really hot down here. But anyway, don't feel bad for me because one thing we did not have was negative temperatures this past winter. So, you know, I guess things kind of even out. Every place has their thing. And, uh, you know, here in Georgia, it just happens to be the heat. So moving on, if you are looking for some camo gear to get yourself geared up for this fall hunting season, head over to HuntworthGear.com. During this uh, summertime, if I'm getting out and doing some summer scouting or hanging trail cameras, that kind of stuff, doing work on the hunting property, you can bet I'm going to be wearing my Durham lightweight pants. I really think you should go check those out. You're going to be really happy with them, I believe. They're nice and thin while also being pretty tough. They keep you cool when you need to be kept cool. And they've got a little bit of a stretch to them. So it makes it nice for working, especially, you know, if you're, uh, you know, getting into to hang trail cameras and stuff, you're climbing through thick brush this time of year, or if you're on and off a tractor, you know, it's nice to have some pants with a, a little bit more give when you're doing a lot of up and down. So the Durham lightweight pants definitely have that. You can find them over at huntworthgear.com. Next up, if you are thinking about self-filming your hunts this year, I have to recommend Tacticam. The Tacticam 6.0, I think, is the best way to get you into self-filming your hunts. The camera itself is stout. It is weatherproof, so you don't have to worry if uh, some bad weather rolls up on you. You don't have to worry about, oh no, is my camera going to get wet? You don't have to worry or freak out about any of that stuff. Also, you don't have to worry about carrying a bunch of extra stuff because you can carry in two, three, four different Tacticam cameras, and it's really not adding a lot to your kit. I mean, you've got one on your weapon. Uh, You may have one on your shoulder or using their head strap. You may have one on a bendy clamp, which I just clamp mine to the outside of my backpack. And next thing you know, you've got three different camera angles. Very, very lightweight. Very, very compact. You forget they're even there. And they're in the woods with you. And it's not like carrying around one of these big, uh, bigger cameras. Now, they are going to give you, at the same time, 4K footage, just like a bigger camera is going to give you. They've got great image stabilization. They've got great uh, low-light footage. They've got up to 8x zoom, which is fantastic, especially if you're bow hunting. If you're a rifle guy, they've got their film through the scope system, which allows you to film right through your rifle scope. So, uh, man, no matter who you are, Tacticam has the right camera and mounts and adapters for you to get you filming your hunts and sharing it with friends and loved ones this year. Head over to their website, Tacticam.com, to learn more. And if that 6.0 doesn't quite fit your budget, or if you're thinking, hey, I'd love to get two or three cameras, but I can't afford to get two or three of the 6.0, Check out the Solo Extreme. It's a really good camera. Uh, it's built a lot like the 5.0 from last year that I was using. 
and I was very, very happy with those cameras. The only thing that you're not going to get with that, you're not going to get the 4K footage, and you're also not going to have the small LCD touchscreen, uh, which in my mind makes the 6.0 uh, worth it. But if that's the difference, if the cost is the difference of you getting it or not, then by all means, grab that Solo Extreme. You're going to be very, very happy with it. If you buy one and you're not happy with it, shoot me an email, shoot me a message. Let me know what problems you're having. I want to hear it because as of right now, I have yet to hear of one person who's had a negative experience with a Tacticam point of view camera or uh, or their cell cameras for that matter, the reveal cell cameras. And then finally, if you're planning to uh, do one of these things over the next year, if you're planning to, uh, to hunt, to fish, to hike, to camp, to do anything outside where you might need to know where you are, I recommend you go get a membership for the Onyx Hunt app. It is an absolutely critical piece of my gear. It is the piece of hunting gear that I use more than any other. It is worth every single penny that you put into it, especially if you upgrade to their elite membership, uh, which not only gets you access to you know all the awesome features of the Onyx Hunt app for all 50 states, but it also gets you all kinds of extra perks and discounts at other awesome companies like uh, Vortex Optics or Woodhaven Custom Calls. A lot of folks that you know and love and trust here in the outdoor industry, you're going to get discounts on them if you are a member uh, or if you have the elite membership with the Onyx Hunt app. We are rolling into that time of year when I really, really like to put my Onyx Hunt app into into use because once we get outside of June, uh, we get we get into that July time frame. I'm not going to lie, guys. I, I don't enjoy uh, that kind of summer scouting. Like when it's late July, early August, man to get off in the thick stuff is just not enjoyable for me but what i do like doing is sitting down on the couch finding new properties reaching out to local landowners seeing if i can get permission taking new properties apart on my computer screen marking things that i want to go and check out once the weather starts to get a little bit better finding places that i want to go and cruise around maybe it's i just want to go for a couple of drives in the evening or in the mornings to see what i see see if i see deer out in the ag fields see if uh, I run into anything on the road, see if the woods are interesting. So the Onyx Hunt app is going to clue me into all of that. If you have any questions, you can go over to their website, onyxmaps.com, or you can find them on the app store of your choice and get a seven-day free trial right now if you're not already using them. Now, I'm going to ask you as a listener, if you enjoy this show, if you like the content that I put out, please go support the partners that support this show. They help make this whole thing possible. Now let's jump into my conversation with Aaron Warbritton talking summer scouting. On this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I've got a guy that really needs no introduction, but if you haven't heard from him, you should crawl out from underneath the rock you're living under and uh, check out the Hunting Public's YouTube channel. I've got Aaron Warbritton. What's going on, buddy? Oh, not much, man. Just hanging out working. Yeah. How's the, how does summer look for you guys? I mean, obviously fall and spring, we see everything that you're doing, but but what what is summertime like for y'all? Are you just walking around in a state of depression because you can't chase anything around uh no we're we're planning <laughs> we're planning all the trips and stuff right now so oh yeah we, yeah we just uh we just uh, had a meeting this morning the whole group and we were discussing what you know where we're going and when and who's got tags where and who's going to buy tags here and there and what dates and so on and so forth so we're we're just out of turkey season only removed from it by a couple weeks now and we're already planning for stuff that's you know hunts that are going to start in mid-august 
and then yeah. run clear through February of next year. So the fall season is really is really more than fall. It's like late summer through <laughs> you know mid to late winter almost. Yeah. Then we have a then we have a little over a month off in between uh, the end of deer hunting and turkey hunting. And then, uh, yeah, obviously the summertime, which we're in right now. So, um, we're still doing lots of projects and whatnot for the channel. Lots of content. I think we filmed six or seven different videos with ranch Ferry last week down in Texas pig hunting. So we've got that stuff and then gobs more content that's on deck here for the next couple months. And we have to start getting cameras out here soon and going to try to do some scouting next week. Um, so just never ends. There's always yeah. something going on for sure. I, I would, I won't bother you with where all you guys are going. Cause I know you get that question a thousand times throughout the summer as, as you're heading into what your fall is going to look like, but how do you guys handle that? Like, I'm curious, is there one person that's like, Hey, this is what we need to cover this fall. Or is it everybody just like, Hey, here's what I want to chase. And can we make it happen? That's kind of the way that it goes. Um, but at the, at the same time, you know, everybody can't, we can't all be that way. If we're all, if we're like, this is where I'm going to go, you guys should come with me, you know, well, somebody else has got different ideas and different schedules and whatnot. So we really are, we really, each of us has to sacrifice a fair bit of our own time, our own hunting time for, uh, you know, in the pursuit of either filming one of the other guys or helping edit or whatever. So this, this fall, we're, we're basically picking a couple of different locations as our prime hunting locations, each of us. Um, you know, for me, it may be maybe at home and in one or two other states. And then for Jake, it may be the same thing. He may have a tag here at home, and then me, he may have a tag, you know, up in Wisconsin where his family lives or he may get a, a tag out West somewhere, but we're, and then we, we sort of just schedule it out through the fall so that we'll leave for one tag for about a week and a half, two weeks. Then we'll come back. Those people on that trip will edit for a week or two while the people that were at home, while the first group was out hunting, will go out. So there's six or seven of us in a group at any given moment throughout the entire fall, three or four of us will be in the woods every day. But with, you know, me individually, I may only be in the woods for seven to 10 days, either filming or hunting or helping edit on site. And then I'll be home for seven to 10 days editing. Wow. Wow. So So does constantly revolving door. Yeah. Keeps, keeps each of you guys out in the field and none of you, uh, (laughs) none of you behind a computer for too long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although I'm sure, I'm sure it feels too long when you'd really rather be out hunting, but it does. The computer time wears on you, but that's just, that's what you got to do. Um, and the people that are a- actually on the trips doing the hunting and the filming are the ones that usually do all the editing for that particular hunt because they're the ones that know what the heck happened. Yeah. They can kind of so, tell that story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How much does, um, and this isn't the topic I want to talk about, but uh, I've got 10,000 things I want to ask you. How, how much does like prime time of year play into how you guys make your decisions? Cause I, I see some places where you go where you're like, yeah, man, it's the peak of the rut. Of course you're there during the peak of the rut. But then I see other, uh, other times where I'm like, man, that like you could have probably had a lot better hunting 
three weeks ago or three weeks from now. So how, how much do you try to, to schedule that in and how much of it is just like, you know what, we're just giving people a real feel for what it's like to hunt this time and this state. Yeah. I mean, we, we're constantly saying that, I mean, the, the, that's just a conundrum that we're always trying to figure out, uh, cause we're either early or we're late or we're right on time. Um, last year, for example, we got to Arkansas in early December and the area that we hunted, we were about a week, week and a half late from yeah. sort of peak buck activity. So we had to adapt our tactics a little bit and change up what we were doing. Um, and that just, I guess that that's the way it always is, no matter what. But, um, there's a, definitely a lot of areas that we hunt either early or late that we wish we could go back to during the rut, but as you know, that, that rut's only a certain amount of time long. So we try to, we try to all be in the woods as much as possible throughout that time. But, uh, there's definitely, definitely years when we wish we could, we could hit some more areas through the rut. It just is a process, man. Yeah, for sure. So what, you know what I, you guys should head down to uh, Southern Florida in, in August with some of the rut going on down there. Yeah. That's actually, a, <laughs> yeah. that's actually a joke. I had a guy on last week. Um, he hunts around the Jacksonville area and man, it's just, that's a, um, tough place to hunt. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially it's tough to think about rutting bucks when it's 95 and you're yeah. sweating and it's just miserable, but we'd like to get down there at some point. I've heard about that and sounds like it's a really cool hunt, but um, there's a lot of things we want to try that well, I'm sure we'll get to. It's just, you know, with deer, you can only, you can get overextended real fast. And that's what we did last fall. We all just had too many tags going in too many different directions. We'd go on a hunt be there for four days and be like, man, we're just starting to figure it out and we got to leave. So this year we're, we're, we're trying to shrink that uh, load down a little bit so we can focus more on just a few specific areas again spend a little more, a little more time in each one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good yeah. deal, man. Well, I, I wanted to have you on to talk about summer scouting and, uh, you know, some of the first, <clears throat> I guess some of the first videos I saw from you guys, um, was back in the Midwest whitetail days, you were doing a lot of public land scouting and a lot of your stuff was during the summer. And yeah. I know with the schedule you keep now, you know, it's hard to squeeze in, I mean, you're not exactly going to be able to have the time to do a lot of postseason scouting, let's say, because uh, you're still hunting till the end of January, and then you got turkey season breathing down your neck, right? So uh, I thought, who better to have on to talk about summer scouting than the guys that really have to depend on that quite a bit? Um, so I, I just want to kind of kick it off by saying, what? how does that summer scouting process uh, look like for you guys? Like, where do you... Uh, where do you start? Like, do you, um, are you, you, are you making special trips to some of these States to try to scout them during the summer? Or are you, you know, just taking it off and, and saying, well, we're, we're just going to stick close to home for summer scouting. And then we'll figure those other spots out when we get there. Occasionally we'll go to the other States, but most of the time this is summer scouting. We do is focused around home. Um, and, but I mean, we're, it's focused in our home state or the, those states surrounding our home state, but we're usually scouting new areas in the summer. Most of the time we're not going back into an area that we've, that we've scouted or hunted in the past during the summer. Anyway, we, we use that time 
to scout new areas. And I'd say we're scouting new areas 80, 90% of the time in the summer. Okay. So you're kind of kicking off with, with new <clears> areas. Does, do you do as much summer scouting as you used to, or has that kind of, uh, it dwindled some in the last few years, but there's, when we're hunting at home, like there's a direct correlation between how much time we spend scouting and the success that we have. I can look back through the last 10 years of hunting in Iowa and I can show you the three or four years where we just crushed them in the fall. And then there's two or three years where, where we didn't do so well. And the only, the, the big, I shouldn't say the only, that the major difference in the years when we did really, really well. And when we didn't do as well is the amount of time scouting. Wow. And, you know, I'm, that's really interesting. Cause I, I feel like, um, I feel like there was this whole wave where summer scouting was kind of a big topic and then it kind of crested and everybody's like, well, summer scouting and, you know, really starting to question the value of mm-hmm. summer scouting. Like, well, it's not really that important. So it, it's pretty significant for you guys then. Yeah, but I would say we do it a lot differently than than the folks that say that it's not important. The a lot of times you hear, and I've heard that same uh, opinion out there as well. And I think what they're referring to a lot of times is glassing bucks and fields or finding bucks or whatever. They say it's not as important because the buck that you find in July, who the heck knows where where he's going to be on October first when hunting season starts. Yep. And I, there's definitely some merit to that. Uh, we've seen the same thing, but we're not necessarily trying to find a specific buck to hunt during the summer. We're looking at, uh, we're looking at how do the deer in general use the area and sort of what the habitat looks like on uh, a micro scale within these bedding areas during the summer. Like we're, we're looking at all those details we're looking for old buck sign. We're looking for, you know, uh, a bedding areas that, that they would likely use or possibly use during the different stages of the fall. Um, really all it's all things woodsmanship that we're looking towards. We're not, we're not, we don't spend a ton of time sitting on a field of glass and bucks in the summer. Just because of the limited value of that. Yeah. Entire- I mean, we love watching them and you know, we'll roll run trail cameras and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, in those areas in the summer to try to get some velvet videos or whatever. But what we're more, like I said, we're, we're way more focused on scouting bedding areas um, during the summer and walking them and, and walking the exits going in and out of the entire area. And to be honest, the, the way we scout doesn't really change much from postseason to summer. Yeah. And like you alluded to, we don't have that much time to scout postseason. Ideally, you know, we'd scout in the early part of the spring, Yeah, but we just don't have time. So we've got to go in there and make do with summer. But what we're doing when we're scouting is we're going in and we're completely blowing that area up, usually with Mm -hmm. multiple guys and we're walking everything. I mean, I'll, I'll use that Onyx tracker tool on my phone and I'll turn it on when I get in the bedding area. And sometimes if I've got time, I'll literally walk every trail that I see in that bedding area. Man, okay. Yeah, and it may take hours. Um, but at the end of it, you have kind of this picture on your map with all of those trails, and you can see on a larger scale where they intersect, where, you know, the general direction that some of those deer are traveling in and out of those bedding areas. And some of the trails that you're looking at in July may be beat down at that time of the year. Some of them may be 
uh, visible, but not getting used. And we're not really worried about what's fresh. Um, we're just looking in general, how do the deer use that area? And you can tell, you just have to look, you just have to look carefully. I mean, there's more vegetation to deal with and stuff, but if you're walking a trail, for instance, along the downwind, along a, you know, prevailing wind, downwind side of the bedding area, and you're seeing gobs of rubs right there and licking branches and stuff, you come back there in the fall and there's a high likelihood that that stuff has opened up. Um, okay. Because of cruising bucks and it may not be, but you know, that information on how that lays by going in there in the summer and, and basically jotting all that down on your notes and with your maps and you do that yeah. enough time scouting enough of those thick bedding areas that, uh, you really have a, a good inventory going into the fall. Then once you get into the fall, you sort of reverse engineer everything. So once you get into, into the fall, you already know what the inside of that bedding area looks like and what the staging areas look like coming off of it because of your scouting in the summer. Then you start putting cameras or out along the edges of it or observing out along the edges of it without putting much pressure on it at all. You don't want to go in there. You do not want to risk blowing them out. Sure. Sure. But if you find a buck or two that you want to hunt that's in that area, say into September or middle of October, whenever, right, right in hunting season, then you know how it lays and you can dive in there and you can start, you know, reverse engineering, if you will, um, that same spot that you'd scouted before. I mean, we go, we go in there and we're looking at, I, it's hard to explain all the details really, but I'm looking at individual trees and potential setups. I mean, even potential ground setups don't, doesn't really matter. Um, and we're trying to get basically as many details as we possibly can inside of that bedding area in one trip and then getting the heck out of there. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, we're trying to absorb as much of that information boots on the ground as possible, because that is not an area we want to spend a bunch of time in. Like, once you go in there and you blow it up in July, you got that whole day and maybe even the following day to, to figure out anything that you need to figure out within a month, month and a half, you know, there may be <clears throat> there, there, the deer will either all be right back in there that you bumped, or it'll be a whole different suite of deer that are in there. Yeah. Yeah. They're using how, how, in, how important is that? So in, in my experience doing some summer scouting, that vegetation piece is hard to get around, man. It, it just, okay. it feels like you can get in there and you're like, I can't see anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it can just, it can be really hard to kind of pull your head up out of the weeds, literally and figuratively, and kind of begin to put the pieces together. So how important is that for y'all to have multiple people? I mean, we as, we as bow hunters, we tend to be a little bit secretive, especially if we're out hunting public land. Um, what, how important is that for you guys to go in with two or three people to try to piece that together? It definitely helps. Um, it, it just helps and it helps to gather more knowledge, um, faster. It's just more efficient that way, you know, because we can all meet back at the truck after we're done scouting a bunch of those areas and we may only spend three or four hours out there, but you know, we covered three times the amount of ground and there's, there's so many little details that you can pick up on that that might end up being the difference between, you know, seeing a big buck or killing a big buck. 
Uh, for instance, I think about, I think back to a bedding area we scouted a couple years ago. We were, we're in the middle of, of this very, very thick area. It was nasty. It was hot. There's ticks everywhere. I mean, you can't see very far at all. And two out of the three of us didn't really find much, but the other guy found a little like secluded water hole back in there that you cannot see from an aerial photograph. Mm. And that spot was tore up with fresh sign where deer had been using it in the summer, but it also had a gob, gobs of rut sign in it. You know, and nearby was a little open, an old fence with an open gate leading out of another bedding area with a trail that wasn't fresh, but you could visibly see where deer were leaving that bedding area, walking through that open gate and that fence and going to that water hole. And it's in the wow. middle of really, really thick stuff. And we found that spot in the middle of the summer, went back there in the fall and it was just jam up. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so but we were, are, my point is we would have never found that if there would only been two of us or just one sure. of us, you know, we would have had to done three, three times the amount of walking. So, yeah, I feel like that, I feel like that's pretty limiting on a lot of guys. I mean, you go in and you walk around an area and it's easy to say, ah, on to the next one. I can't really, I can't really see much, you know, I can't really tell much of what's going on in here. When it, when it comes to a lot of those little details, is there a, a good or helpful way that you've found to like filter through some of that information? Like, is there anything that you're like, ah, eh, that's great, but it's not really telling me very much as opposed to, you know, this thing over here, that's really getting me fired up about this area. Um, it's so situational that it's hard to pin, pin that down. Okay. Um, I, I'm more or less taking in information in general as we're going, I'm trying to pay attention to, a number of things, but I mean, you can overthink the heck out of this stuff when you get in there. I mean, you can, you could spend weeks and weeks in there thinking about every single tree and <laughs> you know, what, where the, where there's red oaks at that might be dropping in late October, where there's white oaks at that might be dropping in early October, where there's honey locust patches that might be dropping during the late season. And just, you could just, your brain will explode. But there's uh there's fine details that you occasionally come across like that water hole or that open gate I just mentioned that you want to pay real close attention to. Mm. And, and with those, we're just constantly dropping pins on points of interest. And, and to be honest, we don't get it right. Most of the time. I mean, we, we get it right. Maybe 20, 30% of the time. But if you get enough of those spots and points of interest on your map, then you you start to build sort of this library. And there's even spots where we have found killer good looking bedding areas in the summer, went back in the fall and it sucked, went in there the next fall and there wasn't much in there at all. And then three, four years later, boom, there's a big one using that area. And we still are drawing off of that intel that we had from four years ago when we scouted it. Um, but that's what, that's what we're, I guess the, the simplest way to put it is, is go into the thickest area that you anticipate deer to be bedding in and start looking at the exits. That's what, that's what I'm always most focused on. How are the deer getting in and out of that thing? And how close can I get to it without getting busted? So when, as far as details are concerned, that would be the number one for me going in there in, in, in general anyway. And, and when you find exit trails that may converge, 
a lot of times you'll find, uh, you know, maybe one trail coming from a different bedding area and one trail coming out of that bedding area and they'll form an X. There'll be a crossing there of some kind. A lot of times there'll be licking branches broken there or an old scrape and you can still see them in the summer. They may not be using it much. They may still be using the licking branches right now, but they don't have enough testosterone going yet to start, you know, pawing at the ground to really open those scrapes up. But anytime I see a licking branch in a situation like that, I'll drop a pin on it. And if we're coming in there scouting those edges in those exit trails, say we, it just rained and you're walking down that exit trail within 300 yards of that bedding area and you're starting to find big tracks in it that are coming and going on that same trail. Then you get up to that scrape that's 100 yards from the bedding and it's opened up and there's fresh pee in it from last night. It's like... Mm you know, you're, uh, I, I equate it to a dog getting birdie when they get close to a cubby, a quail or something. It's like their tail yeah. starts wagging and then, and then they start to freeze up a little bit. You know, you just know that there's a high likelihood that he's in there or he's close and you just set up right there in that spot. Cause you've already scouted it. You already know how far away more than likely he is at that particular moment. If he's in the bedding. And that, I mean, so it's kind of scouting both times. I mean, the hunting aspect of it is, is almost secondary. The scouting, the base scouting that you do in the summer, just learning the ins and outs of that bedding area. And then your secondary scouting that you're doing during the hunting season to figure out if a buck is in there more specifically, is he in there right now at this exact moment mm, yeah. and you're deciding to hunt? Yeah. So the summer isn't necessarily, hey, there was a buck in here last year, so I'm keying in on that, and this is you know where I'm going to be come October 20th. No, it's I'm I'm building this web of information, kind of either yes. in your head or or on a map, so that I can come back and scout the freshest, hottest sign come fall. Yes, that's right. Um, and not to say that bucks won't use the same areas year in and year out; they certainly will. Um, but there's so many other factors that are that are ever changing. One year you may have a tremendous white oak crop and that totally puts the deer in a different area of the landscape for the first two weeks of the season. Yeah. The next year you may not have, you may have zero white oaks and red oak acorns are dropping like crazy. That may put them in a completely different area. You know, one year you may have flooding. One year you may have drought um, that changes the browse in the woods. Uh, there's just, there's all kinds of things. Um, that that could alter the deer's behavior or their decision to use that area. But the main thing with, with thick bedding areas is mature bucks want to be in that thick cover. They want to be in a, well, we just did a podcast recently with the guys from, from Mississippi state university and the scientific phrase that they use for that is screening cover. And I thought yeah. that's a great way to put it because that's where mature bucks want to be. So if you're even in the summer, you can identify what looks like screening cover versus the fall. I mean, you can tell, you can definitely tell the difference right now, you know, from an open stand of closed canopy timber to a thicker area that has got a lot of that screening cover. So regardless of what they're feeding on, there's only so many of those spots on the landscape. And the more of those that you know, the ins and outs of, um, the better your odds are at finding them. Cause that's what when during the fall, when we're speed scouting, if you will, while we're hunting, that's what we're doing 
is we're going from bedding area A to bedding area B to C to D and on so on and so forth. And we may run across four or five of them before we finally start seeing what we're looking for. And at, we may be putting up cameras on those exits right now. You know, those exit trails, like that scrape example I gave you a minute ago with the licking branches, we may be setting cameras over that right now, but we're not even going to touch those things until the very last day of September or early October, literally when we're going in there to potentially hunt that spot. Yeah. Just pull the card and see has anything. Yes. I mean like day of or day before or whatever, it, it all depends on how close that camera is to the spot where you're going to hunt. Like if that camera is potentially sitting on an exit within a hundred yards of, of potential bedding. And we think that's that we literally might set up in the spot where the camera is, we'll take good care not to check that camera until we have the correct wind to hunt that exact spot. We won't go in there the day before we have the correct wind to check it because then we're leaving scent. We don't want to do that. We want to go in there and check it that day, middle of the day. And if he's on there, then we can set up that afternoon. Um, but that's all situational. Heck we've had it happen where we, we couldn't get the camera quite, or we did, we decided not to put the camera right next to the bedding. We put it 200 yards from the bedding on a, a really good crossing where we knew we could get photographs of deer. We went in there, got nocturnal or, or nighttime pics of a buck that we suspected was using the same bedding area. Well, three, four days later, we hunted the backside of that same bedding area on a different wind and he came out of it, you know? So it all, it all depends. The amount of pressure that you put on it depends on how close you are to it. Cause if, I, if I'm getting, if I'm putting it up in a place where I'm anticipating getting a bunch of nighttime photos of the deer, we'll check it once a week. We don't really care because we're going to zip in there. They're, they're showing up at night. there because there's not enough sufficient bedding cover close by or they're used to people being there and that's why they're using it at night. So we don't really care about leaving scent. We'll go in there and leave scent all over the place, but it's a totally different, I guess, trail camera setup, if you will, in the way that you treat those. Does that make sense? I kind of, yeah, no, that's really good. I've got, I've got two, two, two thoughts, two questions. So, uh, one has to do with the trail cameras. I want to come back to that. The, the second has to do with these, uh, with these bedding areas. You know, I, I think a lot of guys that are saying, Hey, limited, limited importance of summer scouting. They're doing, like you said, they're, they're scouting roads. They're mm-hmm. scouting ag fields. They may be looking for Creek crossings or that kind of thing. They're not necessarily in the, in the real thick of it, right? They're not, not necessarily in the bedding areas. Uh, but I hear a lot of the conversation around bedding areas really hinging on early season bedding or late season bedding or rut bedding or that kind of thing. And a few years ago, I started really trying to key in on bedding that was more year round. And I started to, I started to find more and more of these places. Is that similar to what you guys are, are doing and noticing? Is that what you're putting the emphasis on? Or do you have spots that you're like, Hey, that's a, that's a, an, a, an, a mid October bedding area. And we know, you know, during the summer, we're not going to find much late season, we're not going to find much, but mid-October, we know it'll turn on. Or are you guys keying in on, hey, we know they're in here. This is the best cover around. They're in here January to, to December. That's ideal. Um, that is that is the perfect situation. But I will say that with one caveat, we don't find those very often. Um, those are, I can count those on one hand that 
and those are like, you know, those are the diamonds in the rough, if you will. Those spots we can rely on year in and year out to usually have bucks in them unless pressure gets in there and then they move, then they leave. I mean, and they don't leave the area. They don't leave the property entirely. They just shift. But I, I think Dan Infault at one time called those primary bedding areas. And that's a pretty good way to put it. Um, but yes, ideally that's what we would love to find. Um, but more frequently what we find is the second example that you mentioned where they're only here during a couple weeks in October or they're only here at the end of the month of September, or this is a better rut bedding location, you know, on the downwind side of does, those, those are much more common. Um, and it's, it, those are all about timing, right? I mean, you, you're not going to do any good hunting in there on the 1st of October if he's not going to start using it as a bedding area until the 20th. With that said, you can also go in there and burn it up and leave a bunch of scent and you can come right back in there a week to 10 days later and there's a huge buck there. Um, and I think what happens is that they just weren't in there when you were and you, you basically left all that scent and applied all that pressure. Then you left it for a couple weeks and come back in. Things have completely changed in the deer's environment at that point. Cause as you know, throughout the fall, things are changing rapidly almost down to the day, um, especially the month of October. That's why that's one reason I think is the biggest reason why folks struggle to get on deer in October, especially big bucks. It's not because they're nocturnal. It's because they're changing. They're doing something completely different. They're not moving as far during the daylight either. I'll say that, but we still see them up out of their beds well before dark um, or even after daylight in the morning. It's just they're using different parts of the landscape. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game-changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. When you're scouting then, so my favorite little spot down the road here, 1,200-acre piece of public, pretty big, you know, and I found two bedding areas that are what I would consider those primary bedding areas, mm-hmm. right? The ones that yeah. are year-round, it doesn't matter. There's deer in them all the time. The others, though, are, are like you said, they're more situational. They're more based on time of year. What are some of the things that you're keying in on, uh, let's say, when you're doing your summer scouting that says, hey, this one is September, this one is November? Like, what are you going to see that tells you when you need to come back? Or are you just going to, hey, I'll give it a shot in early October. I'll give it a shot in late October. I'll give it a shot in mid-October. Uh, we do a little bit of both, to be honest. But I would say 
the bedding areas that are easier to find are the rut bedding areas because all we're basically looking for then is does. And if you're hunting a public area, even in a heavily pressured state, you may have a doe bedding area within 300 yards of the parking lot that may have, you know, two adult does and a few fawns and a year and a half old doe in it pretty regularly. There may be three to five, six, 10 deer in there often, but mature bucks rarely use that bedding area because it is so close to the pressure. Does have adapted to it and, you know, they're more home bodies anyway. So they're, that may be a bedding area that we look at though. And we're like, Oh, look at this scrape on this one side. Um, a buck may move in here around the 25th of October. And we need to be, we need to keep tabs on this particular area during that time. And then the rest of the year, we may just completely ride it off. So we find gobs of those. Um, but every one of those we, we drop a pin on and, you know, you just, put that thought in your mind. Don't forget about that spot. It's just not going to be good all the time. And then other areas, uh, to your first part of that question, I guess we're looking for thick remote areas where people never go or rarely, rarely go. And that's, that's the most general easiest way I can put it is like, uh, in, in those, those particular areas, we start scouting for other food sources close by or water sources close by. So if we, if we find that, you know, if it meets those qualifications, if it's, if it's remote or if it's in an area where people never go and there's two, that, that can mean two different things. That can mean 400 yards from a parking lot or a road that could mean four miles from a parking lot or a road. But if people don't go there, you need to keep that in mind for both. Um, if it's got to correct, if it's got thick cover and all those things. So once we find that thick cover in a place where people don't go, we start scouting outward from there, work in out. And we start looking for the first available potential food sources on the outskirts of that bedding area. That may be a oak flat. That may be a hedge thicket that's dropping hedge leaves for one week in the fall. That uh, could be a little patch of CRP grass that's got forbs that are still green in late September that they're still browsing on. Um, any, any number of those things. It could be you could have had the DNR come in and do some cutting around the edge of one of those where there's a bunch of like short maple stumps that are shooting up new woody browse shoots that are full of nutrients and deer are just hammering those. So you may need to keep an eye on that, especially if it's close to bedding. Where we don't pay much attention to that stuff is once you get far away from bedding. So we're being very, very selective in the deer sign that we're prioritizing because there's deer sign all over the woods. But we're only concerned about the stuff that is really close to the thicket where he's going to be laying. And, and like I said, it could be, it could mean anything. It could mean any of those food sources I just mentioned. It could mean an ag field. It, it could mean a secluded water source, like what we talked about a while ago with the water hole in the edge of the bedding area. Um, it could be a creek. That is another way to kill them. You can use the creek to get in and out of there. And they all, it also doubles as a permanent water source right next to the bedding area. Those can be killer, killer spots. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's, I could go on and on, you know, 
um, the different things that we found on the outskirts of these bedding areas, but that's what you're looking for. And half the time, I don't even know what the plants are that they're feeding on. I don't really care, but I know what, what a browsing sign looks like. And when I see that, I know, okay, well, they're, they're feeding on this and there's some fresh sign here right now. And it's really close to that bedding area and there's a huge rub on the edge of it. There's a chance he might come out of there and feed on this during the daylight when I can kill him. So I'm, you know, putting that in the memory bank and moving on. Yeah. Who cares what it's called? Yeah. I don't care what it's called. <laughs> I just know they're eating it. Might and be fun to know, but, but really doesn't yeah. make much of a difference. So right. as you guys approach these bedding areas, especially during the summertime, you're hanging up your trail cameras. One piece that I have just not been able to, to unlock yet, right. Has been that, okay. I get a picture at, um, let's say in the summertime, I'm getting a, a 10 30 PM picture or I'm getting a 12, 12 AM picture or a 2 AM picture. How far, what does that put in your mind when you see a, a middle of the night picture? Are you, how far away are you thinking that he is like, cause that's, that's a tough one to unravel just because of the way that they, they wander about the woods, right? Like, so what are you going to say? Okay. This, this camera is 300 yards away and he's here at this time. So I think he's going to be in there. You get what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Yeah. We backtrack them all the time. Um, using that logic and it, it all depends. It all depends on the specific buck. And as they get older, they become more individual. So it, it all depends. Um, if we're getting them just a couple hours after dark, we're going to hunt pretty dang close within a few hundred yards of that camera. You know, as long as there's sufficient bedding close by, if we don't, if there's not thick enough cover or a spot where we anticipate them to bed within four or 500 yards of it, we usually don't hunt it. I mean, we'll usually just chalk that up as a fluke. Why he's there or we'll be wrong and we'll walk in there and we'll bump him out of a spot where we didn't expect him to be. That happens all the time. But um, you only got to be right once in an entire fall. Uh, if you're right once and he walks right out of there on the trail that you hung it hung on and he's 20 yards, then there's your season. And the, even the absence of deer is important on, on a camera if you scouted the bedding areas. So to your example, if, you, if you're getting pictures of one in the middle of the night or the middle of the morning, I'm usually not putting a lot of stock into that. That thing could be coming from three quarters of a mile away. It kind of depends on that deer's personality. I mean, if he's more of a homebody that you're getting all over the property that you're hunting, I would still say he's several hundred yards away from any bedding. That's, but that don't take that as the gospel. I could, you know, you could be completely wrong. He could be bedding a hundred yards from that camera and just exiting a different way. And he's coming back into it that way. And that's why you're getting him in the middle of the morning. Um, but in general, that's what we see is they're, they're a long way from that camera. Um, but what we found is we've been getting, this is a good example that I think will pertain to summer scouting leading into the fall. We were, we had a trail camera up on a, on a good rut trail all summer. And we checked it in mid September and it had three or four really big velvet bucks on it, July and August. In early September, a couple of them showed up on it as they were shedding their velvet, and then they were gone. And we had daytime and nighttime pictures of them all summer. But then what was interesting was the last two and a half weeks that the camera was there leading up to the season, 
right up to October 1st, we did not get a single picture of any of those bucks. And what most people think then is, oh, that, you know, this is the dreaded fall shift. This is why a lot of folks don't put stock in the summer sky. And they're like, well, wherever they're at in the summer doesn't mean, you know, I'm going to know where they're at in the fall. That is true. But if you've scouted the bedding areas, you know where they could have potentially went. So you look at that camera and you see that there hasn't been any of those bucks on there for two and a half weeks, but they were there all summer. It's like, well, where is the next available bedding area in this location? And what, what happened was in this particular instance, no pictures for the last two weeks of October, we dove in about 600 yards from that spot to the more remote bedding area across the creek. And we saw them all in one night. So is that, is that pretty typical? You know, I'm, I'm, my next question that I've actually got here on my list was about that shift. You know, that, like you said, that is why a lot of folks are like, I don't care where he's at in August because come mm-hmm. September, he's going to be somewhere totally different. Not necessarily the case, right? So what, is there any kind of, uh, are you noticing, you know, they always shift to, or typically shift to the, the more secluded bedding? Is it they typically shift to bedding, you know, closer to water, closer to food, or is there any rhyme or reason that you guys have noticed over the years? Or is it just like, you just got to know where they're all at and check them? You got to know where they're at and check them there. It's hard to put your finger on anything specific. And I would, I would hesitate to ever use the term always or never. Um, Even when folks are saying, you know, well, they're going to shift and I'm going to have to refine them anyway. That's not necessarily the case. That thing may stay in the same exact freaking spot all summer and all fall. Yep. It all depends, especially once you start getting to an older buck. They just behave. They just have these personalities that are so individual. But what I see more often, I would say, this is safe to say, what I see more often when they shift they go to a secluded spot where there's a fair amount of that security cover I was talking about, that screening cover. But it's it's better if they have permanent water and a wide diversity of plant life very close. So either in the bedding or on the edge of the bedding. And that could mean lots of green forbs and grasses. That could mean, you know, hardwoods with acorns that are potentially dropping. But if you can find a bedding area that's got all of that stuff and it's pretty remote and it's got that screening cover incorporated somewhere within it, plus permanent water, then you're starting to, you know, you're starting to really get birdie. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the stuff that, that we're like, okay, it would make sense for them to have relocated to this because the soybeans have turned yellow they're no longer seeking them like they were for the last two months. So they're in, in this instance, maybe they're shifting back to summer brows or early fall brows, which could be, you know, forbs that haven't quite turned that are still available or acorns are starting to drop and you're, you know, you relocate back to that. But man, if you can find a spot like that, that has got permanent water and a diverse array of plants real, real close at hand, then the buck that, that makes total sense for them to be right there. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have a wide variety of food sources. It's like it in, I feel like you give yourself more margin for error with spots like that, because if you guess that they're going to be on acorns and you get back there and you're wrong, but there's so many other diverse 
or there's so much diversity right there and there's so many other plants they could feed on, the buck still might be there. You know, I mean, he just may not be, he, he may not be feeding on the acorns that are on one side of the bedding area. He may be coming out of the other side of it and browsing on, you know, forbs that are growing along the edge of the creek in a grassy opening or something. Yep. Um, that's what we see anyway. Yeah. Those, those are, those are the really, really hot spots in early October. Yeah. So just trying to hedge your, hedge your bets as much as possible. You know, the most, the most possible available options for the deer. And, yep. and I think another important thing too, when you say screening cover, you're not talking about the, the silly, uh, well, I won't say silly. I'll probably edit that out. The, the bag of plot screen stuff that's 12 feet tall. Like it doesn't have to be 12 feet tall to be good screening cover for a deer. No, it's got to be about chest high for you. Maybe even shorter. What I've noticed with bucks is they, if they can bed and be hidden and then stand and see, that's good enough. But they got to be able to be hidden while they're bedded. Like that, that's why waste to chest high cover, um, in diverse cover don't overlook that. A lot of people walk right through CRP grass fields that got all kinds of weeds and plants growing in them, little shrubs and trees. They walk right through that to get to the wood lot in the back. And all they're doing is walking right past the bucks. Yep, that's right. Some of my favorite spots for um, September and October timeframe, uh, there's a lot of pheasant hunting where we're at here in southern Wisconsin. And I love to set up in some of, that, some of those fields that are going to be used for pheasant hunting later in the season but that are yeah. close, close to water because man, they just hold deer. And actually I really love to be there on the opener of pheasant season. If you yeah. can do it without getting shot because yeah, that's uh, right. man, last year I just saw bucks pouring out of this mm-hmm. big CRP type area right along the Creek, you know, and they're all hold up out there. Now I hadn't hardly seen any nice bucks before that, you know, they're holding tight to that cover, but man, as soon as the pheasant hunters start walking through there, you're like, Oh, all that was in there. And it's like you said, chest high. Yep. You know, that's what we see too. Yeah. Well, so shifting a little bit to that, I guess, er, setting yourself up well for early season, right? How, how much of your, I mean, I know a lot of your early season tactic comes back to, comes back to the bedding area. Are you guys getting super, super aggressive even with the early season or is there, are, are you kind of holding off just a little bit? Like, are you holding back? Let's say you've got a, what you consider you know, a primary bedding area. Are you going to slow play that at all? Like stage hunt your way in, or are you really just going to swing for the fences when you feel like it's right? Most of the time we're going to swing for the fences. Um, but we will, we will occasionally stage hunt it and creep in there. It just depends on how long we, we expect that to take. If we're start, if we're stage hunting into an area that we're not super sure of, like if, if we just suspect the deer is bedding in this general direction, but we don't know exactly where we'll stage hunt in boom one night, next night, a little further, next night, a little further. Uh, but if the bottom line is, is if you suspect a big buck is in there right now, you got to try to figure out a way to kill him right now Yep. because in a week he might not be there. He's going to be somewhere else. And if you booger it or blow it up or whatever, that doesn't mean it's the end of the game at all. That means that the game is just getting started. 
because that thing won't leave most of the time. He's He may leave that area, and we get the question all the time, like, well, I was going in and I bumped a big buck out of the area. Should I just set up in this spot, you know, and hope that he comes back? And will he come back within a couple of days? Well, I have no idea. Maybe. <laughs> There's a chance. Yeah. But what I think the, the more important lesson and answer to that question is that there's a good chance you you did you obviously spooked him, but there's a good chance you're still in the game. He might just move bedding areas, and tomorrow he's 350 yards away from that spot in a similar bedding area to the one that you just bumped him out of. You know he hasn't left, and he's not just going to turn nocturnal and just bed down all day. He's going to keep doing what he's doing. He's going to be getting up and moving. Good chance during daylight. You just need to be able to move to those different spots. I would weigh, and when it comes to read and sign and, and sort of, I guess, learning if, if he's there or not, I would, I would rather see one huge track that's really fresh after a rain that is entering and exiting on the same trail or entering and exiting on a group of trails that are coming out of or and going back into a bedding area and no other sign. Mm. I mean, it, like a lot of folks will go to a bedding area and they'll see, they'll see it tore up with rubs along the outside in a scrape and all, all this deer sign. But when you really look at it, at a fine tooth detail level at that sign, you're going to realize it may be a week, two weeks old. Mm. You know, that scrape wasn't, hasn't been worked since the last rain and those rubs, the bark on it's not still sweating. It's sort of dried up a little bit. Well, that there might've been two or three bucks in that bedding area on September 10th when they were shedding their velvet and their testosterone was just picking up a little bit, but now it's October 5th. Where are they right now? If I see that as fresh tracks, like I was just telling you about without all that other sign, that's where he, that's where I believe he is right now. Yeah. And I could be wrong. I mean, like I said, you only got to be right one time, but I would rather have that scenario than the latter. Yeah, for sure. You don't see, uh, if you see a good track, you don't have to wonder, is that, is that turning on or is it turning off? Like you would a scrape or right. something like that. You know that I've, I've recently been paying a lot more attention to scrapes and stuff and you you'll see scrapes in early October oh, yeah. and, they're, and they're fresh now and you come back a week later and nothing and you check them again in November nothing yep. you know they turned on for four or five days why we see that I all the time literally you can go into a spot and you can hunt it for a week straight not see anything but does and fawns and then go in there the next day and there's three or four scrapes that are wide open and but you see it, it's, it messes with your mind because you're like, it does. man, I've been in here. I haven't seen nothing. Why should I even waste time here? Yep. So you got to think, where's he at right now? Where's he at, at this very moment? And we've set up in those spots and killed bucks right then, man. you know, and they just showed up. I don't know when, you know, they, they showed up overnight. They moved into that bedding area. But even looking at the GPS collar data that the MSU guys have on buck bedding and how they shift and move around, it makes total sense why you see that. It's like this buck may be a homebody and he may bed 80% of his time for two weeks in a very small area. 
you know, and just sort of bouncing around within that area. And then all of a sudden he goes 300 yards from there and he beds two or three times in a different area. They shift around. Um, so it, that's, that's the main thing is, is, is seeing the sign that, that tips you off to where he is at today and hunting that spot as soon as possible. Um, being super aggressive with that spot if you can, because if he is in there, you got to be close enough to kill him in daylight. I can't tell you how many times that we've set up just 15 yards too far. And it was literally the difference in getting a shot and not. Yeah. Yeah. Because think- we saw him come out of there right at last light and he, we just did not get him quite far enough to kill him. Yeah. I felt like I saw a lot of that in, uh, in you guys first, like your first year of THP. Yeah. You guys had a lot of encounters right at dark where you're trying to climb down and get around the deer. I remember there was one, I, I think you guys might've been, was it Missouri you were hunting where yeah. you basically that buck out of the bed yeah. the day before. Yeah. And then next night he came right out and it was just same a bed. little bit too, oh, same day. So just a little bit too dark. No, 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 no. Uh, different day, same okay. bed, same bed. We okay. bumped him out of the bed. We got up there and inspected it, went and hunted a different location, then went in there the following day with completely different wind direction, and the same buck got up out of the same bed in there, and he came straight out. Yeah, and that, he's a good a good case study, too, because he got up before dark, and how far was yeah. he when he stood up from you guys? 150. And it got closing time before he got to you. Yep. I mean, you just... Yeah, I was literally at the base of the tree, and he was walking by the tree 15 yards, eating acorns. <laughs> That is crazy. That that just shows yeah. how how much you really do, how aggressive you really do have to be. Especially oh, yeah. on those if you're, if you're set up, I walked by three fresh scrapes on the way in there to hunt that evening and three or four fresh rubs. If we did not know where that bedding was at and we set up on that sign, we would have never saw him. Man. We never saw him or we would have spooked him climbing down. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I say that 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 scouting those bedding areas is first and foremost and sort of scouting them from the inside out. Because right now is your get-out-of-jail-free card. You can go in there, and you can blow that thing up, scout it all the way through, and then get out of there. And then you have all of that intel to go off of next fall. Maybe you, you're you finding trees along uh, or brush piles or whatever along those exit trails right now that might serve as good setups. You know, and when you go into the bedding area, you're looking at the individual beds and there's usually gobs of them. There's a lot of people think, whoa, I found a buck bed, so I'm just going to hunt over it. That's, you know, that's a one in a million type of a deal. (laughs) Yeah. But if you go into the bedding area in general, there may be 30 or 40 beds in it. And you may start to see some pattern in in the way that deer are bedding within that bedding area. And then you can put yourself at a safe distance away from it on those exits where you can get close enough to kill them during the daylight, but just far enough away that you ain't going to spook them while you're getting set up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there it is, ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Warbritton says, go do your summer scouting. Yeah. Right. Get out yeah. there and do it. Don't worry. If you don't know the bedding, if you don't know the, the area that you're going to and you don't know it that well, this is going to save you so much time because you brought up that stage area example a minute ago, or that stage hunting example. Yep. If we don't know the area, it may take us three or four days to stage hunt all the way in there. Or we may go in there and have a much higher chance of bumping them because we don't know exactly where it's at. Yep. Yep. So what, last question then, what's your number one piece of advice for folks? Maybe they're, maybe they're going into a new spot and Hey, if you, if you haven't hunted a specific piece of land, 
now's the time to get in there on it, right? Like go ahead, do, do the hard work now, get into the bedding area, scope it out. What would your top piece of advice be for the guy who's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to skip fishing for, for a Saturday morning and I'm, I am going to go do some scouting. What's your number one thing? What are you going to tell that guy to do? I would cover as many of those areas as you possibly can. I would try to set up your day so that you could be as efficient with your time as possible. And what I mean by that is draw out on a map on the areas that you want to check. Don't waste time in between them. Um, literally it, and that's, that's another thing. If you've got one area in the back of a public piece, that's two and a half miles in that you really will really want to look at find three or four more smaller ones on your route in and out of there that you can check. Because if you walk all the way in there, check the one and then walk all the way out, you've just burned up half of your day and you've looked at one bedding area. Yep. Granted, it might be that might be the best looking one to you on the map, but like we've discussed, you don't know exactly where he's going to be when you go in there to hunt him. And if that's all the intel that you have is that one area, then you're severely limited. But if you can efficiently scout four or five of them in that same period of time, then you've got more intel to go off of when it comes time to go in and speed scout and hunt in the fall. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can do that. You can do that with a vehicle. You can do that with boots. You can do it with a bike. You can do it with a boat, canoe, whatever. But that's my main piece of advice. You know, if you're going to summer scout, I would go in, burn it up, um, do all your scouting in a specific area in one day and try to cover as much ground as possible. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, man, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you uh, coming on, talking summer scouting what, uh, maybe what's one thing you're looking forward to most? You got a tag that's just burning a hole in your pocket already for this fall? Uh, yeah, I got a tag for out West. Um, be hunting around home a good bit. Uh, I'm getting ready to move. Actually, I've lived in the same house in Southern Iowa for 11 years now. And, uh, we just got another place about half an hour down the road. That's real close to some public land that we hunt. Very nice. So I'm getting ready to move down there and that will put us way closer to some of the, some of the spots that we hunt and I should be able to do more scouting, Very you know, good. this year versus other years in the past. So hopefully that will yield a little better success this time around. We'll see. <laughs> good deal. Well, Aaron, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate you coming on. Why don't you, uh, I mean, if there's somebody listening to this podcast, they, they know of THP and your YouTube channel, but in case there's somebody who doesn't, where can folks find more from you? All things the hunting public, all on social and YouTube and Amazon, Facebook, even TikTok now. TikTok. Ted's all, Ted's all fired up about this TikTok, so oh, go man. check it out. I need you doing some dances on there. <laughs> Maybe one of these days. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks for your time. No problem. Have a good one. You too, buddy. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. 
And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.